So as I began to prepare for Mark 11, the Lord took me there, even though, I mean, it is, uh, we are coming up on Resurrection Sunday. This is probably one that would be preached maybe the week before uh, Resurrection Sunday. I don't like the word Easter, so if y'all don't mind, I'm just going to say Resurrection Sunday. Um, and sometimes I say Easter just out of old habit, but I sure try to break that habit every time I speak it. But usually Mark 11 would be something that spoke more uh, as we or the week before, as Passover begins, um, as Jesus makes his triumphal entry. But for some reason, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to speak it today, and so we're going to be in Mark 11. I was going to go Mark 11 through uh, 17, 18, but the Lord showed me that I have to basically show most of the chapter. And so let's just start at the beginning of Mark 11. Um, Jesus approaches Jerusalem. He's coming from Bethany near the Mount of Olives and he sent his two disciples or he sent two of his disciples, verse 2, and he said to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there and which no one yet has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say the Lord has need of it and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside the street, and they untied it. Some of the bypassers or bystanders were uh, saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them, just as Jesus has told them, and they gave permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. Now, I want to stop there for just a second. Obviously, we're about to enter the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem But what I want you to see here, and the reason I wanted to kind of start with the beginning, even though the meat of the message is is the cleansing of the temple, as many of you know it, or, or the cursed fig tree that happens right before that. But the reason I want to start here is that you see the authority of Jesus in this scripture. What does he do? He tells his disciples to go, and what do they do? They walk in obedience of his authority. They have understood over time that Jesus has ultimate authority. But not only that, but the people that he goes and gets the colt from also says, take it. Now this colt had never been ridden before. This is ultimately uh, the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, which we won't go to. Many of y'all know that prophecy, um, that Jesus would ride in on a donkey. Uh, It is shown that uh, kings, when they were coming in, Uh, and it was peaceful, they would ride in on a donkey. If they were at war, they would come in on a horse. And so obviously Jesus is now coming in on a donkey, saying that he is a king coming in peace, um, ultimately to give his life in Jerusalem, to give his life uh, for us, for the sacrifice. But what I want you to see here is that it starts, this chapter starts with the authority of Jesus. Jesus has that authority, and, and they they answer, they follow in obedience. The, the disciples and the bypassers, they follow, or the bystanders, they follow in that obedience because of the authority that Jesus has. Now I want you to understand that his authority is really a thread through this whole chapter. When you see the cleansing of the temple, how did he do that? Why did he do that? Because of the authority that's been given to him uh, why does he curse the fig tree uh, in verse 12 and 13? Because the authority that he has over creation. And so ultimately we see his authority through this whole chapter. Now I want you to understand that whether you walk in obedience or not, God still has ultimately 
all authority. And so I challenge you today, you have a choice. Are you going to accept that God has all authority? Matthew 28 says, all authority has been given to me, right? Jesus. And so then he tells us to go and make disciples. But the question, just starting this message out, is will you accept the fact that Jesus has all authority? All authority has been given to him. I know there's a song that we sing about that. Uh, about his authority, but I want you just to keep that in context of your mind as we continue reading. Verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus and they put their coats on him and he sat on it, or put the the coats on it, the colt, um, and he sat on it. Verse 8, and many spread their coats in the road and others spread their leafy branches which they had cut down from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king, kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now I understand that many of us think that Hosanna is a term of praise, but Hosanna in the Hebrew actually means save us. So here they are actually crying out to Jesus, save us. Now what did they want to be saved from? I don't know if if in their heart they were saying, save us from our sins and our iniquities. I believe ultimately that they were speaking of, save us from this political tyranny or from the Romans. Um, Save us from what is taking place. But ultimately, they are also fulfilling prophecy as they cry out, Hosanna, Jesus, save us from what we're going through. Are you the Messiah? Are you the King? Save us. It's very interesting that... They confess Jesus with their mouth on one day and they crucify him later in the week. Now, I want you just to take this, this, this little nugget here and just take this home with you. Because for some of us, we say, man, that is something that we would never do. I can't believe the, Israel, the, the nation of Israel, the Jews, I can't believe that in one moment they would praise his name or cry out, Hosanna. And then later in the week, they would yell, crucify him. But can I just ask you, do we not do the same when we come into a church service on Sunday and sing praises to the name of Jesus, but yet we crucify him throughout the week by the life that we live? See, church is not about Sunday morning. We are the church, and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. And the way that we live our life, we're either proclaiming Hosanna... That Jesus has saved my life. Either we bring about the radiance of his glory through our lives. Or we ultimately crucify him through our lives by our actions. So as you see this scripture in Mark 11. Don't just sit there and say oh man I can't believe the Jews would do that. Because let me just tell you each of us have done that at places in our lives. There's been times in our lives where we said, you know what, God, I understand your authority, but you know what, I know better and I don't want a king to reign over me. I don't want to give up my authority in this area of my life. And so let's just be real for a moment and let's look at this and say, and and just be honest and vulnerable for one moment and realize that we can do this tomorrow. If we're not walking in obedience of the authority of Christ. Verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. 
Now I want to stop there for a second. I really want to look at verse uh, 12 there for a second. Excuse me, verse 11 there for a minute. I really want to just pay attention. Whenever I was always, as a kid, I always heard about Jesus cleansing the temple. And the next verse, he comes in the next day and he cleanses the temple. And I always just thought of Jesus coming in and, and, and it just caught him by surprise. Like, man, they're, 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 they're selling in there and they're making it a marketplace. And he gets all frustrated and just throws all the stuff up. I always thought of it as like it caught him by surprise. And then the Lord showed me verse 11. Where was he the night before? The, the afternoon before, the day before. It says in verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. Jesus, and then it says, after looking around at everything, he left. Jesus realized what they were doing. And I truly believe that his response was bathed it in prayer. I truly believe that Jesus' response the next day was on his knees before the Father that morning. It talks about in the scripture where Jesus went daily and cried out to God and sought the Father. And I believe that he just prepared himself for that moment. It says in verse 12, On the next day when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit of you again. And his disciples were listening. In verse 15, Then they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach, and he said to them, It is not written, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began to seek how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. So I want to just take just a moment, and now that we've just seen his authority was displayed at the very beginning, we see his authority here, and I want to take just a moment, I want to just talk about the fig tree, and I want to talk about the cleansing of the temple. In doing so, I'm going to have to walk all the way over here, I have a, a prop, whatever you want to call it, a lot of people thought the lights were me doing a prop this morning, that was not true. But I just figured if we're going to talk about a tree, we might as well have a tree in the service. Now... I want you to look at this tree. Now, I know this is not a fig tree. At least I don't think it is. No. I know this is not a fig tree, and I know that it's fake. But I want you to look at this tree, and I want to go back to verse 11, or verse 12. On the next day, when he had left Bethany, he became hungry, and seeing the distance a tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. Now, the scripture says there was no fruit on it. But it also says that it wasn't the season for figs. And so I struggled with that. Sought a lot of different commentaries. And sought a lot of different like people's thoughts. And one of the things that really spoke out to me that was just so powerful in that moment. Is that if a fig tree was not in the season of figs. Then it wouldn't be able to produce figs in that moment. Right? And I just began to realize that it says in John 15, and we'll go to it in just a minute, 
It says that we are to abide in Christ in verse 5. Let's just read John 15, verse 5. It says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But then you got to see the last part. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I thought about that for a minute. This fig tree, or let's pretend it's a fig tree, couldn't produce figs. We can't produce fruit apart from Jesus. We're in the same boat. And so we must abide in him so that we may produce fruit. Now, I believe that this fig tree is an example or an illustration or an understanding ultimately of the nation of Israel. Really going to their leaders. You got a whole lot of leaves, but you got no fruit. What did it say? What did Jesus say in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 7, about the Pharisees and Sadducees? He said this Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to the disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees, they've seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say these things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them. With so much as a finger. But they do all these deeds to be noticed by men, leaves and no fruit. For they broaden um, their, and I, I messed this word up, but that, that word, philosophies, is actually the box that they would keep their, their uh, scroll in and lengthen their tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor and the banquets and the chief seats in the synagogue and respectfully uh, greetings in. And respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. Now skip on down, I believe it's verse uh, 27. It says this, Woe to the scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too, outward appearance, righteous to man... For you, so you, too, outwardly appear righteous to man, but inwardly are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I truly believe that this fig tree, Jesus coming uh, from Bethany, going to Jerusalem, knowing what he's about to do in the temple, he looks at the fig tree and he says to it, this is just like the scribes, just like the Pharisees. Apart from me, they can do nothing. They cannot produce fruit. And so what they've done, instead of allowing Jesus to come and abide with them, they have put on all these leaves to make themselves look good. But yet they can't produce fruit. So what does Jesus do to this fig tree? He says, you will bear no more fruit. He says, cursed are you basically. You see uh, later down in the chapter. So I just kind of want to pull off some of these leaves. And, and it's just interesting. So this leaf right here says, my mother's faith. Isn't it interesting that we can clothe ourselves with our mother? And, and this one right here says, says, my father's faith. And so we can clothe ourselves with leaves of, of my father's faith and my mother's faith and say, you know, I've got it. I'm okay. Look at me. I'm good to go. But Jesus says in John chapter 15 that if you bear no fruit, you'll be cut down and thrown into the lake of fire. It says here, let's see, this one says good works. You know, we can clothe our, our, our tree with leaves of, of good works and say, you know, look at me, I'm good, I've got it. But it says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. So your work, good works are worthless apart from Christ. 
I pull this off over here and, and we can give to good charities. We can even tie to the church. We can do all these different things and we can place it here. But without a true relationship with Christ, we are a dead tree that cannot produce any fruit. Oh, this is a good one right here. This leaf says church membership. You know, the church membership is not the Lamb's book of life. And, you know, we laugh and chuckle about that. And I do too. I laugh and chuckle about it myself. But the sad thing is, is that it is a scary, scary false belief system that people believe every day. And they will hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And they're going to say, but look at the leaf that I covered myself with, Jesus. I have church membership at, at the First Baptist Church of, of Corinth number one. And he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I look at this and I, I see this, this leaf here and this leaf here. It says, baptism, religion and tradition of men. You know, we look at this tree and I truly believe that Jesus having in mind where he was headed and what he was going to do in the temple, that ultimately this tree was an example of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and what they had then led the nation of Israel to do, which was ultimately make an abomination of the temple. And so here they are putting on all, all their, their, their good clothing and, and praying their, their good long prayers and giving so that people can see and fasting in ways to make people realize that, that they're hungry and that they've done all this for the Lord, but yet on the inside they're dead. And let me ask you this question, church, today, because I don't want to just assume that, that, that we out here are all, like we all have fruit hanging off and, and God's using us. My question is, if this is you today, the scripture says you must repent. Because a dead tree will never produce fruit. But isn't that the beautiful thing that Jesus comes? Ultimately, he's cursed this tree and he's coming to Jerusalem to ultimately pay the sacrifice, the price. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to be crucified just a few days later. Why? So that we as dead trees can become alive. Like that's the beauty of all of this is that though, though this is what we look like, we're dead and we just have leaves on us because we try to put good works and moral uh, society's morals on us and all these different things and God says, hey, I'm coming so that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. But what is God ultimately saying? So that you can bear much fruit. Let's go to John 15, 5 through 8. It says this. It says, I am the vine... And you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. They are gathered them, and, and they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned up. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you, or done for you. My Father is glorified by this. And please underline this in your scriptures if you feel comfortable underlining. My Father, Jesus, our Heavenly Father, God, He is glorified in this. What? That you bear much fruit. Let's just be real and vulnerable today. Is there fruit in your life? You say, well, David, what's fruit? Well, you can easily go to Galatians chapter 5 and you can talk about the fruit of the Spirit. 
But I think that it's even more than that in the fact that obviously the fruit of the Spirit is only Jesus coming through us, the Holy Spirit coming through us. We cannot create that fruit on our own apart from Him. We can do nothing, right? But I truly believe that the fruit that's in our life is what Brother Fred preached on last week, which is godliness. Like us looking more like Christ. Why do I pray every Sunday, Lord, before when we leave this place, may we look more like Jesus than when we came into this place. Why? It's because we're growing and we're being discipled, which means the old has fallen to the side, which means, guess what? All that's being shown is the new life, which is Jesus. The fruit that should be coming forth from our life should be truly the glory, the radiance of our King. And so let me ask you this question. Going back to the fact that they would cry Hosanna on Sunday or Hosanna on that day. And then they would crucify him later in the week. Let me ask you this question. Are you bearing much fruit? Are you shining the glory of the Father through your life because you are laying down your life? You're abiding in Him, John 15, and the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of Christ, the godliness is coming forth from your life, not because you can do it on your own, but because you are abiding in Christ. I love what Brother Ed said. One of, I love Brother Ed, one of my, like, just one of my favorite worship pastors in the whole world, but, but just somebody that I have just, just taken every word I mean, I just want to write down every word he said. I think that, that he is such full of wisdom. And he made a comment one day. He said, David, you know how I know that I'm a believer? I said, well, after this many years, I would assume that you just knew. That's what I was thinking. I did not say that to him. But he said, you know, David, you know how I know I'm a believer? It's because who I am today, I could have never been by myself. I could have never been this person without the Holy Spirit doing it through me. So I'm going to just leave this up here so that you can continue to see it. But I just want you to know that I truly believe that God, that Jesus in that moment was saying, this is a representation of any nation, any organization, any people who does not bear fruit. That they will be thrown into the lake of fire. So may we examine ourselves, is there fruit in our lives today? Do people see godliness in you? Do people see Christ in you, the hope of glory? Let me just be honest with you. Let's just be real for a minute. They see one of two things. They either see God or they see the world. They either see God or they see the world. And let's just be real. There's times in our lives, as much as we strive for the king, they see the world in us. Because the flesh is still waging battle in us. But every day people see either God or the world through your life. So he continues on. He curses this tree and he moves on. And by the way, let me just, there was a few other scriptures. I won't, I won't read them to you. But Matthew 7 does say, they'll know you by your fruit. They'll know you by your fruit. Matthew 7 verse 20. It says, so then you will be known they will know them by their fruit. And if you actually go back, you can see that it talks about good fruit and bad fruit. It talks about a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Well, what would this tree, only the tree that abides in Christ, is going to produce godliness, produce good fruit. So he continues on in verse 15. And this is where it, just, it, gets, it gets so good. And I'm ready to start the message now. 
Then they came to Jerusalem and they entered the temple. And he, began, and he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Verse 16, and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. I want to stop right here in verse 16. And I want to camp out here for a second. That seems like just such an interesting little verse right there in between. You know, he cleanses the temple, then he starts to teach, which I think is miraculous that Jesus is like flipping over tables and he says, come on, let me teach you. Come here. But in verse 16, it says he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. What I want you to understand is you'd have to realize the temple and understand that what people had started doing was creating the temple as a shortcut to get through the city. So why would Jesus stop them from continuing to make that path from one side to the other? The reasoning is, is that they had begun to neglect the glory of the living God. You've got to understand, this was the temple. Like inside the temple was the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt. I mean, it was, it was so holy and so set apart that, that if you went in there outside of, of the one time a year, I mean, and being the high priest, if, if anybody were to step in there, you would die. And here in Jerusalem, they have the Holy of Holies and they turned it, not the Holy of Holies, but the area of the temple, they turned it into a byway to and from as a shortcut. They had begun to neglect the glory of the living God. So that's pretty interesting to me because it's very easy for us to come and go to church on Sundays. And then throughout the week, just it'd be a second thought. It's very easy for the lights to come on and us say, oh, somebody hit the right switch. Then to realize that it's for his glory and for his kingdom that those lights came back on today. It's real easy for us to live life day by day and make church on Sunday mornings a shortcut to just another week. When you came in this morning, what was your thoughts? Oh, I've got all this to do today. I'm starting, already getting hungry. I'm already thinking about lunch. You know, what was your thoughts? In Psalms 24, I, I recited it to you during the prayer this morning. In Psalms 24 they saw it so holy. It says this in verse 3 and 4. It says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to falsehoods or swear uh, by deceitful or, or has not sworn deceitfully. Like, they would cleanse themselves back before they made it a byway. They would go in expecting to experience the glory of the King. The glory of God. But all they did was make it just another way through the city. And I just got to be honest with you. I think that we've done that in America. I think that we've just created a pathway to the next day of the week. Do we come into the service saying, man, I'm expecting the presence of the living God in this place? Do we come in and say, hey, God is going to be here. And I get the fact that he lives in our hearts. We're going to talk about that in a second. But just think about that. 
If we're all the temple, 1 Corinthians, if we're all the temple and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, shouldn't we get even more excited as more of the temple, as more as the body shows up? Because it's like all of a sudden, like all of us have this thing in common, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and we're expecting the Spirit of God to move mightily. Or do we just come in just saying, okay, it's another Sunday. I'm going to sit through this guy's fast preaching And then we're going to go eat and we're going to just talk about the next week. Maybe just right now we just need to stop for a minute and just seek God for forgiveness. That we would just come in and not expect. Let's just pray for a minute. Lord, I, as I just sit there and I just hear your voice being spoken, God, I repent of any time in my life that I just walked in on a Sunday morning. More focused on the things of this world than focused on you. And Lord, I even pray right now for the rest of this message that all of our eyes are turned to you with great expectation that the presence of the living God just come down. And Lord, I pray that next Sunday that we will be so excited on Sunday morning getting ready to come before the living God. Amen. You know, Isaiah said this in verse 40, chapter 40. Isaiah said in in, in 40, verse 25 through 26, he said, To whom then will you liken me that I would be as equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them by name because of his greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Maybe we should come in the night before on Saturday and look up to the stars and say, Man, that's the greatness of my God. That he would breathe out and the universe would exist. That he would speak and light would happen. And that he would send his son that I may have life and I get to go and meet with other people who also have that life and I'm going to rejoice because my God reigns and I'm going to come in expecting to see the presence of the living God fall down in this place. The nation of Israel had turned it into a byway. And they had totally neglected the holiness. The holiness of God. So how do we not? In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 16, many of y'all have the scripture memorized. It says, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. But let's just go back. I skipped a verse that, that, that has to be spoken in context. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18 through 20, it says this. Flee from immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. He says, your body is a temple. And so just as the nation of Israel created this byway 
they, God is calling us. He said, hey, I am to be set apart. I am holy. So cleanse yourself before you come to the temple. And God's saying this, that we must be holy just as he is holy. Why? We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting to me that that's actually quoted from Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter, 40, uh, chapter 11, verse 44 through 45, it says, For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourself therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourself unclean with any of the, the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord God who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, your body is a temple, and so we should be set apart just as the temple should have been set apart. And so we should be bringing about the glory of God through our lives. Why? Because we're set apart, and we're either bringing glory to God or to the world by the way we live our lives. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The second thing I want you to see in this is verse 15. Then they came to Jerusalem. He entered the temple and they began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. It's so interesting to me that what they had done in this moment is that they had made the temple look just like the marketplace. There was no difference between the temple and the marketplace. So let me ask you this question. If your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, then does your life look different than the secular world? Because if it does not, then you're just like the nation of Israel in verse 15. See, what they had done is they had created in the Gentiles' court where they set up the marketplace and ultimately people would come in and they would have to buy their, uh, their sacrifice and, and it was very corrupt. So somebody would come in and they would have a lamb that they had brought from their home or, or that they had bought out uh, beyond the temple and they would show up and the priest would say, oh, sorry, there's a blemish on that lamb or there's a blemish on that animal. And they would take the animal away and say, you're going to have to buy one here from the temple that could be ten times as much. All because they had turned the temple of God into a secular marketplace and the corruption. And so here we see that, that their lives... We see in this moment that, that they had allowed the secular world to enter the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but the Gentiles' court in the temple. And so I just ask you today, does your life represent the secular world or does it look like that of the Holy One, the King of Kings? And so in that being said, the question is, do you, if you look like the secular world, then we're going to see verse 15 come to pass and Jesus comes and he basically empties the temple. I think in verse 17, it's so interesting to me, it says, and then he began or he began to teach them saying, you know, my thought was always, hey, you know, he threw everything around and he wouldn't let anybody pass and so they all just scattered and, and ran away. But then he begins to teach them and he begins to speak to them and he begins to quote Jeremiah and Isaiah. He says this, and he began to teach them, it is, not, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, and please don't stop there. That's where we always stop. 
How often do you hear somebody say, my house shall be called a house of prayer, my house shall be called a house of prayer, my house shall be called a house of prayer. If Jesus would have said that in that moment, first off, he wouldn't have been quoting Isaiah 56. But what he did was he wanted people to realize this was not just for the Jews, it was for the Gentiles as well. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then he says, but you have made it. A robber's den. He's quoting there Jeremiah 7, 8 through 11, which is so interesting that in Jeremiah 7, 8 through 11, uh, there's basically being a rebuke on them by what they had done to the temple. And it says in verse 8, it says, Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. He says, Will you still murder, commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? Then come and stand before me, in this house, the temple, which is called by my name and says, we are delivered that you may do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I have seen it, declares the Lord. When Jesus teaches and when he speaks this to them, obviously those who had studied scripture would go back to Jeremiah and they would realize and understand what he was quoting. He was saying that you have made an abomination of the temple. But what I also want you to understand is that because they were in the Gentiles' court, because that was where the Gentiles could come and worship, and here's what we have going on, is that they had basically cut off all other foreign nations and Gentiles and foreigners to come and worship. And so you see that when he quotes Isaiah 56. If you go to Isaiah 56, 6 through 7, I hope you're writing these down to look later. It says, Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Verse 7, even those, who are those, the foreigners, it just said it in verse 6, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. Jesus quotes, and he says, You've turned this temple, this area, into a den of robbers. You've desecrated the temple. You look just like the world. You are nothing more than just a bunch of leaves. You're dead. There's no fruit. And so he knocks over the tables. He begins to teach. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And I want you to see this. This is very key. You, gotta, you just got to catch this. If we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, then according to this scripture, if we are walking and abiding in Him, John chapter 15, 5 through 8, if we are abiding in Christ and we are producing fruit, then God has called us to be an example to every person we come in contact with outside of this building For them to see the glory of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what nationality. It doesn't matter where they're from. God has called us to be that light to all people. But what they had done by being dead. Whitewashed tombs. Their leadership had led them astray. And ultimately had said. 
that when you come in, we're going to basically materialize this. We're going to secularize this. And so that basically will cut off, in some sense, all these foreigners and Gentiles. They're not going to be able to see the glory of the king. But what God is speaking to us, church, today is that if we have fruit in our life, which means that we look like Christ, that we are living a godly life, that the fruit of the Spirit is coming forth from our life, that means that every person we come in contact with is going to hear Jesus, is going to see Jesus. That means that, that, that the way to evangelize is not to get some incredible speaker up here and, and bring in lights and smoke and camera and look more like the world. No, the best way to evangelize is for us to be the church every day in this city do you realize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God's called you to bring glory to the name of Jesus by living a God-centered life in this city so that all nations can come to him hey guess what God just called us a church for all nations and they may People might not ever come in through the doors of this church, but yet they see the glory of God through your lives. So let's go back to the authority at the very beginning. At the very beginning, I told you that it's not that uncommon for us to say, Hosanna. At the beginning of the week, on Sunday morning, we're going to praise His name. We're going to worship the King. Hosanna in the highest. I think of Michael W. Smith's back song back in the 80s where he said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they went, Hosanna. Anyways. <laughs> but in the beginning of the week, they, they shout out, Hosanna, save us. You're the king. And just a few days later through their life, what do they do? They crucify him. And so do we when we call out the name of Jesus. And we, we come in here on Sundays and we praise the name of Jesus. But then we go out and we live like the secular world. The temple of the Holy Spirit in, in us begins to look more like the secular world than it does the living king. So you say, David, what, what, what do we need to do? It all goes back to this tree. Which is so interesting that that's where the scripture leads to. If you go to the next verse in Mark 11, when evening came, they would go out of the city, and as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Being reminded, Peter said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Now, I just want you to understand. It says, withered from the roots up. You know, if, if, if a tree loses life, it slowly kind of, you kind of watch it go down, right? But this thing, like, from the roots up, it was done immediately. And they see it. Being reminded, verse 21, he said, Rabbi, look at the fig tree which you had cursed and withered. Verse 22, and Jesus answered him, and it's so interesting, he answers him, he says, have faith in God. In some sense, I wonder if he was sitting there saying, like, Whoa, like what you said happened. But I truly believe that what Jesus was saying was, listen, any tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down. And he was saying that my temple is a place, God's place, 
where, where the holiness of God was. And soon, in just a few days, the veil would be torn in the temple. And God would, the Holy Spirit would come to rest in the lives of the people. And God was saying, you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But when you don't bear fruit, this is what you will look like. A withered tree from the roots up. And so my question today, church, is this. I'm not going to just sit here and assume that all of us are walking a life yielded to the king. But what happens when you leave this place? Does the temple of God glorify the name of Jesus or does the temple of God glorify the world? Maybe today the Lord is saying, hey, it's time to cleanse the temple. It's time to cleanse the temple of your heart. You know, in 1 Corinthians it says that that some lay a foundation and then they build with wood, hay, and straw. It says, according to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I lay a foundation and another building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, and straw... Each man's work will become evident for that day will show it because it is to be revealed by fire and the fire itself will test the qualities of each man's work. If any man's work which has been built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer much loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through the fire. You got to hear me here because this is, this, is very, this is very key. There's one of two things happening if you don't have fruit in your life. One is that you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Those Pharisees and Sadducees tried to do it every other way but a relationship with the king. They tried to do it every other way but to abide in Christ. They wanted it their way because they didn't want to lose their prestige. But if you also, if you're saying, David, I believe in Jesus, but there's no fruit in my life, then that scripture right there tells me that you're building with wood, hay, and straw. And you say, well, what does that mean, David? Very simply, that means that you're not growing and being discipled. Because what that means is that, that you're focused on your life and not on the one who's given you life, which is Jesus. When you build with precious stones... When you build with those things that last through the fire, it's because your focus was on the King of kings and Lord of lords. Seek Him first and His kingdom. But when your focus is on yourself and you're not growing spiritually, you begin to build with wood, hay, and straw. And so you say, David, what do I need to do today? You need to search your heart. Let God pour over you and search you. If there is no fruit in your life, then you need to say, God, what do I need to surrender today that I'm holding back? That's not revealing your glory. What areas in my life do not reveal your glory as I walk through this world? God, show me any area of my life that I'm holding back from you that's not producing fruit in my life. And in some sense, the Lord's saying, lay stuff down. In some areas, the Lord's saying, you need to grow. You need to get involved in a life group. Where you can grow. You need a mentor. You need somebody to disciple you. You got to grow. So that you make sure that you're building with precious stone. So let me go back to this as we close today. What areas of my life are not reflecting God's holiness? What areas of the temple... I'm talking the temple as in each of you. What areas of my life as the temple is not reflecting 
the glory of the Creator God. Remember, they created it a byway, a pathway. They created it as this, this, this just easy way through the temple and they missed the glory of the King. May we not do that in our lives. What areas of our lives do we not reflect the glory of God? And then the question is this. Ultimately, what does your temple, what does the temple reflect? If it reflects the glory of God, there's fruit coming forth from your life. If it reflects the world, then it looks like this tree right here. A whole bunch of leaves, but no fruit. 